Why do so many watch collectors hate on Hublot? People love to hate that brand. The internet is full of memes making fun of Hublot. Today with me, I have Marco Ferrante to talk about why people love to hate on Hublot. Welcome, Marco. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the hate, where it stems from, why it exists, and are, is it actually, you know, reasonable? Like, do, is there a reason for people to hate on Hublot the way they do? Um, tell me some information about why, you know, people hate on Hublot. Yeah, so Hublot is an interesting one in that, well, for one, I think people love to hate, right? They just do. So, so the, there's that pile-on effect. But I think Hublot, a lot of it has to do with what they do specifically, right? The fact that a lot of their watches are these off-the-shelf movement watches that are frankly overpriced for what they are if you compare it to their competitors, right? A lot of this has to do with their marketing, their expenses, things of that nature uh, that help with the popularity of the brand and their sales. Because, you know, contrary to popular belief, Hublot sells a lot of watches, right? They move product as, as much as may, people may hate on the brand. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons which we'll get into, but yeah. I guess maybe let's do a quick history. Sure. So, Carlo Crocco, the founder of Hublot, um, originally he was a part of a, um, I guess, a, a watch manufacturing company or his father's. It was a family thing where they manufactured some watches and he went out on his own. He wanted to create a watch that, I guess modeled after his lifestyle which is you know spent a lot of time on a boat he wanted to create a watch that is built around water he wanted to create a watch that you could wear with a suit or with a pair of shorts and a, a polo shirt um, this led to first of all him creating a watch that is named you know the, the word hublot in french means porthole there was a lot of hate initially <laughs> come on Guys, I need to I need to run through this. I need to be quick as fuck. There's a, there's a, yeah, the word porthole is just funny on its own. How is that a funny word? It just I don't know. It just sounds like a funny word. You know, check out my porthole. <laughs> Yeah, this is not one of those like porno scenes where like there's that. No. Yeah, okay. No, no, no. Right, so people originally, you know immediately when he came out with this, people are like, uh, yeah, there are currently two, you know, red hot watches. <laughs> there are two. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back, back in line. <clears throat> So people originally, you know, gave him a little bit of So the fuck are we smoking? <laughs> <laughs> so he originally got some flack. <laughs> so he originally got some flack. <laughs> okay, I gotta I gotta come up with completely different words. Alright. <laughs> People hate this portal. <laughs> When he originally announced the name of the brand and when he designed... We 
This is horrible. I love okay. that we both have to leave, right? <laughs> we all have to leave. Uh, <clears throat> all right. <laughs> Let's get over to, past the word portal. <laughs> At the time he released the first design, there were already luxury sports watches on the market that were inspired by, <laughs> by a ship's portal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're getting to that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At the time he released his first design, um, there were already luxury sports watches on the market that were the originals of like that design. Yeah. I'm not gonna say porthole again, okay? <laughs> there was the Patek Philippe Nautilus 3700 and there was the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak Jumbo 5042 ST. Um, now again, he was a, a sailor, he wanted to be around water, he wanted a watch that would work with that. He, I, I, people do give him the credit for introducing the fact that you know you combined a precious metal like gold with an industrial rubber. So he actually ended up using rubber for the strap because. <laughs> Come on, no way. His his solution for his overall problem was to use <laughs> a rubber. <laughs> <laughs> in the portal. <laughs> I, I, I didn't laugh at this when I wrote this. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you do. Like, I'm looking at the word porthole and it does. <laughs> I think you have to release it, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> okay. It was his idea, obviously, to combine a precious metal with a rubber bracelet. So a lot of watches after that actually, you know, took that idea. So Hublot is the, the pioneer of that style, and now it's super popular. I mean, look at, look at what I'm wearing. I mean, yeah. I mean, it goes beyond even just Rolex, right? You look at an AP Offshore, right? They tend to have rubber 100%. straps. Even Patek Philippe Aquanaut, they have rubber straps, right? So it goes, you go down the line of high horology sports watches. Hublot definitely had that influence of creating once the royal oak transcended that barrier of a steel uh, you know non-precious metal sports watch that was a luxury item right the next thing was really hublot with the rubber strap yeah. right that was a complete Ian, can you throw a picture of that up uh, so we have a picture of the first you know the 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 first i guess was it it was the big bang yeah um the <laughs> this this we should mark this episode nc17 or ns17 yeah um, let's get past the porthole and the rubber <laughs> and the red hot. <laughs> now that we're past all that, in 2004, Jean-Claude Beaver, Beaver? Beaver. <laughs> okay, we got another keyword in here. Beaver, Beaver. Beaver Beaver portholes. Yeah. Um, he became a minority shareholder in Hublot and he took the role of CEO. His first major step was to introduce the Big Bang chronograph. Um, Everybody, and obviously, if you look at this watch, it borrows heavily from the Royal Oak Offshore. I mean, yeah. if, if, if the case was, you know, and it's not an octagon. It is an octo octagon, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like it's a roundish shape, but it's got this. No, 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 I'm not talking about the Hublot, the, the AP, the, the yeah, Offshore. It's an octagon. Yeah, yeah, octagon. Yeah, yeah. So if, if 
the Big Bang was an octagon, it would have been an exact copy. Yeah, essentially, it, right? Because it's got the screws in the bezel. Yep. It's got the similar kind of design. Now, you have to put that into context, right? First of all, Jean-Claude Beaver actually worked for Audemars Piguet mm -hmm. in the 70s, right? Second of all, who is Jean-Claude Beaver? He's most well-known for taking over Blancpain, revived yep. the brand. Uh, you know, it was kind of extinct. It wasn't really making watches at the time. They revived, he helped revive the brand, sold, ended up selling it off for a ton of money. And, and that's really what he's become known for, right? When he took over the role of Hublot, it was to take their existing designs make them better and then really change the perspective of people with Hublot right because at the time Hublot was not known as a luxury watch manufacturer right they were actually producing the majority of their watches in quartz he actually talks about this on his episode mm -hmm. of talking watches with uh, Ben Clymer on Hodinkee mm -hmm. right and so he wanted to change the perception of people and create Hublot as a luxury product, right? Because you can't, the future was no longer quartz. People had established, yeah. okay, 2000s, the quartz crisis was over. People are buying mechanical watches. Mechanical watches are here to stay. And so he really wanted to update and innovate, uh, you know, uh, Hublot essentially into the 21st century. And that's what he did, right? Releasing kind of more... Uh, niche watches, mineral repeaters, turbions, turbion chronographs, I mean, and, and using alternative materials, right? They started using ceramics and carbons and things of that nature, all because of Jean-Claude Jean Beaver's influence. So he doesn't come from a watchmaking background. He comes from a marketing background. Correct. Do you think a marketing executive should have a say or uh, should be able to lead, you know, watch design? Of course. Yeah. I, I think that should, that's totally okay. I mean, you look at Gerald Gento. Gerald Gento was not a watchmaker per se, no. right? No, he was a design maker, but he, I, as far as I know, he wasn't working on movements uh, okay. himself personally, right? So I think it's okay for people to, you know, come up with designs of a watchmaker. Shout out to the watch designer. He's another person. Yeah. As far as I know, he's not a watchmaker, but he certainly designs watches for, for big brands. And so... Uh, Listen, I don't think you need that watchmaking pedigree to be a watch designer. Sometimes you need that separation between the two to be able to realize, like, okay, this may be a great watch movement, but it's not so much a great design. So he has like an aesthetic, you know, ideal yeah. or an idea, really. And then he says, okay, watchmakers, now make this happen. You know? Yeah. Um, okay, that leads me into direction. Maybe I'll design a watch myself. <laughs> um, I can't draw, draw for shit, though. Um, okay, so I guess one of the biggest complaints is the fact that they borrowed heavily from other brands that they're really just copying or, or stealing, you know, I like to call it inspiration. Yeah. I mean, they were inspired, their designs were inspired sure. by existing brands that were doing well already. Which, by the way, designs. I don't think is illegal, no. nor, nor should a brand deserve hate, right? You look at a, a, a diver, right? The dive watch category yeah. is maybe one of the most popular categories for watches in the industry. And each one of them somewhat look similar to yeah. each other, right? In that genre, right, it, there's just not two ways to make a diver, right? It, they all have a similar design. That's just True. the category that it looks like. <clears throat> it's the same with a, a luxury sports watch that's made to look like a porthole, right? It's good. They're all going to look somewhat similar. That's just yeah. the inspiration. What's with the, like, why do so many of them rely on, like, the porthole design? Like, what is, what's, what's so inspiring about, you know... It's a good question. The I mean, marine, listen, like, I, I think it's the idea that Gerald Gento kind of created that watch, and so other people were inspired by this. There's there's some other kind of nautical theme watches, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just a it's an easy to replicate yeah. design that is is really recognizable. Think about it. Like if I didn't know anything, and I was like, okay, well, they designed a watch or many watches based on the window in a ship or a boat. 
what's next? You know, oh, a, a window on an airplane. Let's design a... Actually, to be fair, though, Richard Mill did make a, a watch that was designed after a Boeing. I think it was Boeing. They did a, a Boeing collaboration. And the case shape looks exactly like a window sh uh, window on an airplane. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of, listen, if, if we're going back to the topic, Hublot <laughs> hatred, right? Part of it is, one, the, the kind of copying of designs, mm -hmm. if you will. And then two is also the fact that they use these off-the-shelf movements, often yeah. e ETA, Solita movements things of that nature you know that costs a few hundred dollars let's say and then they charge a huge markup because of the yep. brand because of the marketing you know we're talking about watches in excess sometimes of ten thousand plus dollars but they also use materials that were innovative so they weren't using just precious metals a lot of the materials that were they introduced the use of a lot of these you know very unique and, and exclusive materials yeah so the brand i mean and again Jean, uh, not John, Claude. Bernard Arnault, no, Bernard Arnault, for yeah. example, he has said that there's nothing more valuable than a brand. If Hublot yeah. was, you know, built that brand to the, you know, the point where people recognized they knew what it was, then you're not paying for the ETA movement. You're paying for the brand. Correct. Same as you're not paying for a Rolex for just what the parts actually cost. You're paying for the brand. Um, <clears throat> well, Hublot is a, a genius marketer, right? You look at what they're doing. They're very much taking a page out of Audemars Piguet's book, out of Richard Mill's book, with the use of ambassadors. They're very, very good, especially in European football, yep. targeting you know th that kind of niche clientele. But that has they're, they're just a wealthy clientele, right? They understand where their, their strengths are, and they play to those strengths very, very well. And that's what makes them successful at a retail level. So a lot of people do complain about the fact that they rely too heavily on their marketing and their ambassadors than they do on making quality timepieces. Um, tennis, golf, you know, racing, these are sports where high net worth, you know, individuals typically yeah. follow and, and Well it's why <coughs> Rolex, why Richard Mill, why yeah. AP, why Patek Philippe will sp often sponsor these kind of sports and these events because there's just wealthy affluent people who attend those events who will buy their watches. Right? Is there any substance to that that claim that, you know, they rely too heavily on their marketing? I mean that's the job. That's the point. You know? Yeah, of course. I mean it just makes sense, right? You're only as good as, as the, the the eyes that you generate for yourself yeah. at the end of the day, right? Because there's tons of watches. Watches have been around, you know, well in yeah. excess of five hundred years, not wristwatches in particular, but you know, timekeeping Keeping devices, so you know to, to be innovative to capture the attention and minds of people, it's only as good as how well you can generate that media and content. For if yourself. tomorrow Invicta used the same ambassadors and the same you know marketing budget, they potentially could become as big as Hublot. Yeah, they can certainly move up market, change their mm -hmm. movements, change some of their designs, fix some things up, shore yeah. up their lineup, and yeah, they they definitely can. That's the goal. So why would they be hated for this? You know, for accomplishing this goal and achieving it, is hard to answer. Um, one of the other, you know, common complaints is they have made so many limited editions that it, you know, there's yeah. nothing limited about it anymore. Yeah. No, that's a huge problem, not just for Hublot specifically, <clears throat> but for a lot of brands. You look at Grand Seiko, for example, does this. Omega had the trouble with yeah. this, although they're kind of going away from it. But a lot of brands will make this mistake. And the issue is when you start to limit everything and say everything is special, then nothing is special. Yeah. And that's kind of the issue, right? When everything is a limited edition, this is special, this is special, this is special, then nothing is really special. It's just what you're doing, right? That's just what the brand brand is. And, and what you should expect from the brand. And then everything else that comes after that isn't, you know, so special yeah. and limited. It just isn't as good. It falls below that bar. So they claim that they want to be everywhere their client is, which is why they make, you know, limited editions for Ibiza, limited edition for Mykonos, limited edition for any sport, you know, like they, if they're, if they have clients there, they want them to feel like they are included, you know, and it's an interesting strategy, um, yeah. but it also, you know, turns out to be one of the reasons that they are disliked. Um, I think you also can talk about 
you know, people's disdain or, or dislike of Hublot without talking about one of my good friends. Shout out to you, Nico Leonard. Of course. Who, who's probably, you know, one of the people who, who kind of, you know, tells us how it is, right, when He's it comes to Hublot watches. Because I, I won't, I won't, you know, I, I'm not going to make excuses for Hublot. That's not what this podcast will be, right? I think Hublot does a lot of mistakes, right, especially at the entry level. Now, I think at the high-end level, they actually become very underrated, right? Those high-end Hublots are actually good watches, right? They're made by solid watchmakers. Yeah. They're very good movements, well-finished, well-decorated, complicated watches that are really good value. But at the entry level, I'm right there with Nico. I think these are, you know, listen, they're just not for me because I think that they're overpriced for what they are. They, yeah. And I think Nico really... I think he does it in a way maybe that, that is, <laughs> I guess, a little bit more out there than, than maybe somebody, somebody like myself. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think he's right on point with his messaging, right, is that these are overpriced watches for what they are. And I, I totally agree with that. You them. think that if they cut out their entry-level line and just concentrate on the high horology, the, the really you know heavy hitters, as we like to call them. Like, so, for example, I recently had a, a podcast with Adrian where we talked about Mercedes, for example, is going to be raising their prices. They would rather sell less cars you know, for higher prices, and they're going to be concentrating on pushing their higher-end cars like the S-Class, like the G-Wagon. Um, if you blow took that same strategy and were like, you know what, forget these you know, $10,000 big bangs. Um, let's concentrate on you know, the serious watches and become you know, the next Patek Philippe, the next you know, Audemars Piguet. Is there an opportunity for them to, to, I guess, save their... Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because, well, I mean, this comes down to, you know, what what can they establish for themselves, right? If you're going to cut production, first of all, you're going to make it your product more scarce, right? Yes. You're going to also target an, an upscale kind of market. That becomes a lot more competitive, right? Because then you're competing with the likes of Patek Philippe and AP, Richard Mill and the rest of them, which is very, very competitive market. And I think that Hublot falls right below them, which allows them to be you know, somewhat successful, right? Because they're not at that super echelon of price, right? And, and that, that upper echelon of price is very, very, very competitive because there's so many options out there. But I think it could work because, I mean, again, you talk about scarcity, creating this artificial scarcity. Second, creating in the minds of people because they're amazing marketers. There's no other way around it. This idea that they're a hyper-luxury product, hyper-luxury sports watch, I think it would take time, but people might become accustomed to the yeah. idea that Hublot is actually a Personally, a I think watch. I think it would be, now again, easier is, is an exaggeration, but I think it would be easier to compete against those top four grand, brands than to compete against Rolex, Omega, Tudor, Seiko, Grand Seiko, you know, like all those. Because right now their entry-level watches are really in that market. They're yeah. competing. What would you rather have, a Big Bang or a Datejust? You yeah, know what I mean? it's not competitive. It's not. Sure. Um, I wouldn't want to go up against Rolex. You know, there's no, you know, no chance in hell in hell that anybody could win going up against Rolex. But I'll say this, right? Maybe a Datejust is a lot more recognizable, but Hublot still has that recognizability factor, of right? Of course. When you look at a, a watch on wrist, and people, you know, there's a lot of watch collectors. Don't don't get it twisted. There's a lot of watch collectors who collect watches for the passion, the love of horology. Yeah. But there's also a lot of collectors that collect for the flex aspect of it, right? A Hublot Big Bang is a very recognizable watch. Yes. People know what it is, and that's part of the reason why. Why they sell so well right it's become a household yeah. name in the watch industry and the recognizability is there it's funny so the flex is one of the reasons that they are hated they kind of call it can you pre pronounce new rich in french yeah nouveau riche correct um so they say that that is a watch made for them they call yeah. them uh hublo hublitos and <laughs> hublitas uh 
Yeah, I think those are like those are terms because they they for the new rich. This is a watch that gives them an opportunity to flex without spending the big money on a richer meal or yep. in a, you know a, a perpetual calendar AP. You know anything yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. really baller type. Um, and again, a lot of this is because of the way they make their watches, the the materials they use, the diamonds, the the stones. Like it, you can get it for a lot less than you would if this was a richer meal. Um, yeah, no, I think the flex factor is certainly there. The recognizability is there. The marketing is there. I think they've created a very good equation for success. Uh, again, I, I would echo a lot of what Nico says. I think at the entry level, they deserve all the hate that they get because, I mean, there's no other way around it. Yeah. I think these are overpriced watches for what they are. But again, I, I would tell people and caution people, don't neglect the higher end of Hublot. There are some really, really impressive watches. What do you, like, what's the first thing that comes to mind when somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, I want to buy this Hublot? You know what? I think it might be often, it, it depends what model they're looking for, right? If they're looking for one of those entry-level models, I think they're probably a novice collector, somebody who's been collecting maybe mm -hmm. one to three years. Uh, they haven't been into watches that long. They're looking for, they're, they're a specific kind of client who's looking for a, a watch in a certain category, right? The flex, uh, the look at me kind of, kind of status symbol uh, watch, right? Which listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Some people like to collect for that reason. That's totally okay. Um, I think if somebody's looking for a higher end Hublot, I think it's actually a very concerted choice, right? They're looking for, from a, a bird's eye view, this watch is I mean, just take, for example, we had a ceramic, uh, we have a ceramic uh, Hublot Big Bang is a monopusher tourbillon, right? Mm -hmm. If this was an a in an AP case in ceramic, I mean, this would be upwards of 200,000, right? And it would be heralded as like a marvel of watchmaking, what have you. Because it's Hublot, it's about $60,000, right? Mm -hmm. So that huge price disparity, despite it being, you know, an extremely complicated watch with all the merits uh, of, you know, any other brand, it's super underrated, right? So I, I actually appreciate somebody who looks at things from an outside perspective, takes off the blinders and really looks at like, okay, there's a lot of value in this. So I recently had a, a friend reach out to me saying, hey, I'm looking for this Hublot, you know, what do you guys sell it for now? Again, I'm not in sales, but yeah. I went to a salesperson and said, hey, you know, how much are we selling this for? Price was $28,000. Um, and I came back to him, I said, you know, it's 28,000, why? Like, why, why would you choose this watch compared to something else you can get for the same money? His reasoning was, I love it. Like, I love yeah. the design. Um, the name of it will not come to me, but it's the one shaped like a, a, an RM. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's their squarish ones. Yeah. The, not the Unico. Is it Unico? No. No, Unico is the movement. I, it's um, I, I, no, King Power. I think it's the King Power. Yeah, because the King Powers are like those squarish be. models. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, it was a nice looking watch, yeah. but I said, for the money, why would you go for that brand compared to a different brand? Um, and again, his... Passion for it was real. It wasn't the flex. It was yeah. like, I love the watch. I love the way it looks. Love the way I went to the boutique. I tried it on. This is what I want. You know, I just don't want to have to wait forever to get it from the boutique. Can you get it for me? Um, and he ended up buying it. He wears it daily. He loves it. So it's, it's funny because there's both sides. There's people that hate on Hublot just for the sake of hating on it. There are those that hate on it because of these things that we listed. But then there's the people that are really just into the watch for being what it is, not brand outside, you know, just exclude the brand from the, the watch itself. It's a quality watch. I mean, again, not all of them, but you know, a, a good portion of them are quality. Um, so it's, it's hard to say that the hate is completely justified. 
Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think a lot of it is justified. I think a lot of it isn't. But that's that's the way it is, yeah. right? Uh, to a certain extent, people love to hate, and it's fun whenever you have, like, a community that likes to pile on to, to a certain extent. I mean, that's always fun, too. Like, don't get me wrong. I love those Hublot bashing. The Hublot memes are hilarious, uh, especially, yeah. like, whenever there's, like, the Nico Prime Opinion Reddit yep. forums. You go through those. There's so many great memes on those. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, people love to hate. It is what it is. Uh, I think Hublot is a mainstay brand they're going to be a powerhouse for many years to come uh, there's no other way around it i think that there's a few things that they can change to really gain the respect of more watch enthusiasts but yeah overall i mean they don't need to change right because what they're doing is already successful it clearly works i don't think that they're bothered by all this hate because no. their sales haven't you know dropped we sell a ton of them ourselves you know we definitely don't hate the brand itself um especially because it's a product that moves no. um I'm trying to figure out whether it's fair to say that like the majority of people that hate on them just do it to be, be a part of a group rather than having gone and tried mm -hmm. one on and appreciating the horology that went into it or the, the craftsman, craftsmanship that went into it or how much they cost, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, I would tell people like I would tell anybody else. Before you judge a watch, you got to try it on in person, right? It, who knows? Maybe when you try it on in person, you'll actually like the watch. Listen, I've been surprised by a lot of watches. I thought a Patek Philippe Nautilus was the ultimate grail watch a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I tried one on. I was uber disappointed. I thought it was a flimsy watch that was a little bit cheaply made. I'm just being honest. It just wasn't for me. Didn't sing to me. Didn't speak to me at all. But I, I feel a certain way whenever I put on a Royal Oak or an Overseas yeah. or you know any, any kind of Rolex or an independent, high-end independent. I always love those kind of watches so when it comes to hublot watches specifically again at the lower end it's not something that sinks to me but i would say you know as you move up the ranks of hublot watches there's a lot of great watches out there to be had and i would say keep your keep keep your eyes open right be have an open mind to these try these on uh, and, and see if they're for you okay do you happen to have a reason why you hate hublot please let us know down in the comments. Marco, thank you so much for joining me today and helping discuss this this topic and shed some light on why it's so hated. Shout out to obviously to Nico, the, the ringleader of the, the Hublot hatred. Um, if you like this episode, if you want us to continue doing them, make sure to show us some love, support, comment, like, subscribe, write a review on a podcast if you're listening to this and hopefully we'll see you guys tomorrow. Have thank a great you. day, Marco. Thanks, Javi.